people smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm Jodie Greer, I'm your host and I am the founder of Be People Smart. And before I tell you what myths we're busting today, I want to introduce our wonderful guest speaker, Mark Webb. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yes, of course. So um, I'm uh, a husband of one, (laughs) a father of two, um, an owner of three cats and a turtle. I live on the Dunstable Downs, um, just near Whitsnade Zoo. Um, I'm uh, recently, I'm close enough to hear the lions, actually, on a good day, which is very cool for Bedfordshire. Um, And um, I guess for the purposes of this podcast, I'm uh, medically retired, but still public speaking. Um, I'm an activist um, because I'm a wheelchair wheelchair user with multiple sclerosis. And we can talk about that later. Thank you. Um, obviously, I need to tell people about our myths and stuff, but I just got to say, how cool that you can literally hear lions roaring from your house. Well, it, it's so weird. On a really good day, um, chimpanzees and elephants, and it's just so bizarre. It's 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 a couple of miles away, but of course they're powerful animals, or in the chimpanzees' case, noisy animals, and it's just wonderful. I love that. I'm actually a little bit envious. Um, <laughs> So, just to set the scene, the myths that Mark and I are going to be busting today are, primarily, there's always more, that disabled people are born that way, and that most disabled people use a wheelchair. So, we'll come on to both of those, but first of all, because there are people, of course, that won't know, um, Mark, can you tell us what multiple sclerosis is? Yes, so it's one of um, something like 80 autoimmune diseases. Um, So it's one of those ones where it's your own immune system that's messed up. And in um, MS's case, um, the attack comes at your central nervous system, which is always a horrible thought because it's your brain and your central nervous system is impacted um, it's a progressive disease. You don't know how progressive it's going to be. You don't know what parts of your nerves are going to be, uh, be impacted. So you can get all levels of disability and all sorts of disability. Um, and um, yeah, I've had it for uh, 30 something, 30, 31 years now, but diagnosed about 15 years ago. Um, I've got it pretty rough but not but I'm still living a good life that's wonderful thank you and interestingly actually everyone I've ever met with MS have there's a lot of you know synergies in there a lot of similarities but all have very different experiences and symptoms and so on so yeah it's interesting how you say that um, and well, it's, um, it's actually um, it's called the snowflake disease by some, but <laughs> no, not one of us. There's 2.4 million people across the world with it. Um, it's a very popular disease to have, so to speak. Um, but um, none of us in, in that 2.4 million will have the same exact symptoms and levels of disability. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I do want to go a bit more into your health. But. 
<laughs> I just got to make sure I get this in there. I've got to be honest. I really want to uh, touch on your very interesting career history. What's all this about you and Michael Jackson? Oh gosh, well, let, uh, do we have to start on that? So, so um, <laughs> let, let's let's briefly interlude before that. So, I, at school, I was one of those annoying people. I was I was head boy. I was a scholar. Um, I was captain of the rugby. Um, I didn't have to revise much to get good results, and that was great. But the upshot of that was that I didn't really know what, know what I wanted to do when I left school because it was all it all came a bit too easy. I think the first exam I got nervous about was my driving test. Um, so um, I wandered off to Europe and became a ski bum. Then I became a ski rep and a holiday rep. So that was all about girls and beer and suntans and whatever and adventures. Um, but um, that coincided. I vaguely went to university, but didn't finish it. Disgraceful. Um, but um, all that um, um, meandering around Europe coincided with the launch of a theme park east of Paris called Euro Disney, now Disneyland Paris. And I guess because I'd been a, a holiday rep, um, I was put in as a, roughly speaking, a posh rep for, for celebrities. Um, and you named the the famous one, Michael Jackson. Um, but I also looked after Ke uh, younger audiences. You're going to have to look this up because it's like talking about John Wayne. But I looked after Kevin Costner, Clint Eastwood, George Bush Sr., President Mitterrand, um, my favourite, which was Gloria Estefan. I just had this wonderful experience um, and it was through that that I, I landed on my calling, which was PR, because I was always, you know, in attendance with um, with celebrities when they were being interviewed and, and pursued by journalists. So um, that's where I ended up um, becoming a PR person. I absolutely love that. It's just so random. And it's funny because you're your school uh experience and mine are very very different <laughs> I, I absolutely ducked away from things like prefect um yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> would have been that's all fine opposite. you're doing well <laughs> yeah I uh, uh yeah I think my uh teachers would have probably laughed if uh I'd have suggested being a prefect um <laughs> So if anyone's listening at knew me at school, you'll probably uh, recognise that. Um, so when it comes to workplace, so this is kind of linking it back to health really as well, right? So what kind of positives and negatives have you experienced when it comes to your health in the workplace? Um, I'm a rarity, and I shouldn't be, in that I've only been lucky, really. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty advanced like I said, with my MS, um, I'm I'm now going to dangle um, my um, suprapubic catheter. So I've got a my this is my bladder that comes out of my belly. Um, so I've got a little tube where I I I, I wee out of. Um, I'm a, a pretty much full time wheelchair user. Everything else, so you know, I've had to have um, what they call reasonable adjustments, which is the legal term. But um, if I quickly take you through. Um, where my so 1992 was the launch of Euro Disney. Those were my first symptoms. 
pins and needles right down my left hand side but it went away after three days and I was a bloke in France so I ignored it um uh later on I had bladder issues um erectile dysfunction as in floppy willy issues um those were my first few symptoms but um funnily enough I went to the doctor about that one um um but um then I came back to the UK, met my, I met my wife who also worked for Disney. Um, uh, so I already had um, MS, but we didn't realize it. Um, came back to the UK, was working for David Lloyd Leisure, stumbling on my left foot when I was doing, you know, exercise and triathlons and other such nonsensing, um, but still hadn't figured it out until I joined um dixon's which is um it's gone through very so it was called dsg international then dixon's is now called curry's um uh, and it was at that point uh, relatively early on that i started putting things together and we just had a child and my wife remembers this i don't but I, uh, one night i got up to do the feed and um i struggled to get up and i told my wife in the morning and she said, look, Mark, you really need to go to the doctor. Um, he sent me to a neurologist, which is a brain doctor, and a urologist, which is your down below doctor. Um, and uh, together, um, about six months later, um, they come at, came back with a diagnosis. Um, I, I think I made the mistake of blurting it out to everyone partly because I was in denial about how serious a diagnosis MS can be. Um, but actually, um, the, I guess I can point to three times during my Dixon's career when they were pretty much perfect. So me blurting it out and then going home for two weeks to feel sorry for myself and punch walls and get drunk and whatever else I did. Um, by the time I came back, the team had educated themselves about MS um, and also what I'd be like psychologically, what I'd be going through. And so they were ready to ask questions, to approach me about it, to be sympathetic about it, to understand not what I was going through, but just to be good allies. And allyship is so important in um, the world of disability and any minority you know I'm not just a disability speaker I, I talk about all flavors of DNI and allyship is so important because there's only so much shouting we can do as as minorities so it was just great um, the team around me sort of just helping me through um, that time um, there were people at work who stop talking to me because not because they were nasty just because they were scared um because of, you know was i contagious was it weird to talk to, could dare they say anything in case of saying the wrong thing etc etc you know, i'm sure you've talked about this kind of thing before but um by and large and to a man and a woman the team around me were just perfect and I was later promoted. And of course, not everybody disabled gets promoted once it's become known that they're promoted. Um, but then um, my MS, which at the time had been 
kind of invisible or or maybe I was walking drunk, so to speak, from time to time. Um, but then I was um, at the walking stick stage and chronic fatigue stage when I was called into a room and I was expecting, um, I kind of knew what was coming or I thought I knew what was coming. So I was expecting either to be made chief photocopier as in put in a corner and uh, there, there, Mark, um, we feel sorry for you, but here's £4.50 an hour to keep working or, or to be given what I call the guilty check. Um, off you go into the sunset. And actually, this was I, I was pretty senior. And um, so this was the group HR director, you know, responsible for 40,000 people and my boss, who was on the exec board. And they um, said, look, Mark, we love what you're doing, but you're starting to struggle. We want to keep you on. What can we do that would help you with a, a new role to keep thriving, but would help us as a business? So it was working together for me, but also for the business. And uh, social media was emerging. And... Um, so I, I um, together with the company, created um, this role, head of group social media. And that wasn't, um, you know, retweet here to win a, an iPad. It was the corporate stuff. So it was, it was working with my CEO and working results days and reporting back on what journalists were tweeting about, et cetera, et cetera. And together we... Um, not by writing my CEO's own tweets, but by nagging him to tweet and reminding him of issues that were, were going on. Um, we made him into the most followed FTSE 100 CEO on Twitter. So I could keep working. I could uh, work from home on occasions before that became trendy. Um, and I could help the business. And quite an impressive legacy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Although... Um, uh, Sebastian James was his name and he's um, he's gone on to be the CEO of Boots and he still tweets occasionally but if I had my way with him I, he'd be tweeting more um, so that that was great um, and then just you know step forward three or four more years and I was just exhausted and um, struggling to work I was doing a four day week and um when you're in that kind of world, you're always on. And I was struggling. So I went to them and said, look, maybe it is time to go. And, um, you know, I won't give details of the, the, the payoff I was given, but it was, it was extremely generous and it wasn't a hard negotiation. So it set me up for my, the next stages of my career. And, um, uh, I, um, I put a post out on LinkedIn roughly saying those three stages. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly what I said. And I think everybody does it on LinkedIn now, don't they? I, I had a great time and can't say how much I loved everybody, blah, blah, blah. But I, I'm not saying I invented it, but I was certainly a, a forerunner there. Um, and it went viral. Um, I, it, it finished, be like Dixon's Carphone. We had merged with Carphone Warehouse. 875,000 views. Um, and um, 
I, I I got my various job opportunities out of it. I um I w- started working for a charity called Shift.ms as their head of PR part time. Um, I got some advisory roles with a, an SEO company, and I I just started becoming an activist. And um, Bob's your uncle, so I just had a wonderful career, um, but also a wonderful experience as a disabled person being looked after as every disabled person as every minority should be treated fairly and humanely so i love hearing that and i must admit and i'm probably just as guilty because i'm always talking about you know the other side of the coin how you know so many organizations need to step up and do more and so on um and i think it's nice that you can come from a side of actually demonstrating how a company can get it so right so on that, obviously, you've given us some uh, information on obviously how Dixon's did it and how that really helped you. Yes. But what What else do you think that particularly the kind of quick win type stuff that people can implement quite quickly, um, given your own personal lived experience that all organisations should and could be doing to make a real difference? Um, well, um, you know, if I just talk about disability as opposed to DNI. Um, we are, um, as a collective, although a lot of people who are disabled don't see themselves as disabled, um, we're one in five of the population. So um, we are not only employees, we're potential employees, and we're your customer base. So um, it's great to appoint a DNI person, whoop de doo um, but actually you need, first of all, somebody at senior level responsible for your dni initiatives um you need to treat disability in the way same way that you treat ethnicity and gender and sexuality uh, as kind of the you know they're seen as the key ones but you know the, there's also age and um social mobility and disability you need to treat the, all those minorities and um, what I see ca- happening now, and I love it, and I wish that had existed when I was um, was with Dixon's, are um, groups that that can support each other. You know, um, minority groups that that become powerhouses within a company um, and talk to each other and support each other and champion each other. Um, th- that's as important. And then. Just quick wins in, well, sorry, just on disability quickly. Reasonable adjustment. You, you, you know, we're going to go on to everybody's disabled is in a wheelchair. And of course, that to, that that could mean a, a lift and ramps and, you know, a, a disabled lose and complicated things. The average reasonable adjustment is 400 quid for somebody disabled because it could be just some uh screen reader stuff or some headphone stuff or moving an office to a quieter place to help with hearing or for neurodivergent people to be able to concentrate it can be so easy to make um reasonable adjustments so it's the realizations that we're we're not that scary or complicated or expensive and um you know i haven't got the stats in front of me 
but uh, a diverse workforce is a more successful workforce. So it's it's not just to be nice or morally correct or woke. It's it's because they're your customers and they're they're your valuable um, employees. Absolutely, and you've kind of taken the words right out of my mouth. It's all the stuff I also share, you know, all the time. So it's it's just a fact, and hopefully, you know also coming from someone with lived experience organizations are going to recognize that they would miss out on talent like yours if they wasn't taking the right steps to be inclusive and that's what this is hopefully going to drive this is what we want to get through to yes um but but you know let's also be realistic um the suffragette movement um was about a hundred years ago um and uh i was going to say we won the vote i'm not that old but you know the 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 vote was won for women but a hundred years on we still don't have um equal employee um uh, employment opportunities for women or equal pay for women so it's you know it's not going to be an easy um battle i i don't quite like using the word battle but it's an ongoing thing there is progress, but um, it's going to go on long after my lifetime. Unfortunately, I think you're right. But I definitely would say to anybody listening, you absolutely can make changes from today that can make all the difference, not only for disabled people, but for your organisation. Um, yeah, you've heard it from Mark as well. So please get in touch if you want to hear some more. Um Mark, I do want to ask you, you gave a, one example, but what was your most trying time because of MS? Because of MS, um, I, I was, um, you know, um, I know the, the the five stages of grief has been disproven as a, as, a, as a real thing, but it does give a guideline that, you know, the various bits of um, denial and anger and whatever else you go through. I, I never went through the anger stuff. I did go through an awful lot of denial. So the diagnosis part wasn't too hard. Um, Every stage of accepting my mobility issues was hard. You know, the first day walking in with a walking stick, then with a rollator, as in a Zimmer frame, then with a wheelchair. Actually, the hardest bit is the one I've just gone through, which was the medical retirement um, and I'm still active. Um, I think you found me on LinkedIn. Um, I talk on LinkedIn very regularly. Um, um, and I'm public speaking very often. Um, but to not have an employer anymore and not know when my next paycheck was coming and the psychological challenge with accepting that I was um on on the scrap heap, so to speak. I asked for the redundancy for, to to leave. I I just couldn't cope with that thing anymore. But that was the hardest thing: medical retirement, and it it walloped me when when I realised how hard it was going to be. So on that, I mean, either from your previous employer or you know maybe from other networks that you found, did you find any support? for those particular circumstances? Because obviously a lot of people would feel similar to you. Um, no, actually, um, not that I, I hunted it out. Um, I, w- when I was working for Dixon's and, and fairly soon after diagnosis, I, 
I took up um, some counselling because I was on one of those private healthcare um, deals working for a big FTSE company. Um, And I I dipped in and out of counselling four or five times um, over my my next, uh, you know, 10, 15 years of MS. And I haven't actually sought that out. And maybe I should. Um, But no, uh, the Medical Retirement Society, does it exist? I don't know. Um, But it's weird that that was the hardest bit of all my stages rather than you know having a hole stuck in my tummy or realizing I was going to get a wheelchair etc etc um it really is a toughie yeah I mean I can only imagine but I can certainly appreciate it um it, it's a it's a yeah it's a big thing I mean it's, it's a big life change for anyone even when retirement comes around and people feel it is time to retire so medical retirement often comes even earlier and yeah, it's a massive life change. And even though you did opt for it, you didn't actually opt to be in a health position where you felt it was necessary. No, and yet your 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 sense of value and sense of self gets um is discombobulated a word, but <laughs> but anyway, it, you you just you feel very strange and you your 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 value to society you, you you question that and it took several months um and i was still public speaking i was still campaigning i was still what i call nonsensing um but um yeah a, a really weird one and maybe i shall start the medical retirement society i think there's something there i genuinely do and i think there's going to be a lot of people that will resonate with you and also coming back to our myth about disabled people are born that way. I mean, you're obviously proof of the pudding that that's not the case. But actually, t- statistically, over 80 percent of disabilities are acquired in adulthood. And often when we talk about talent retention, for instance, within an organisation, they don't really get it. That no one thinks it could be them. No, no. I, and of course, I, I, I absolutely didn't. And that was part of my, you know, it was 15 years between first symptoms and diagnosis, because I just didn't see what was happening. And um, didn't, I was immortal. I was younger. Um, I believed I was going to be healthy all my life. Um, and, you know, die quietly in bed um, when I was 97, whatever. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I don't know when the podcast will go out, but just yesterday we heard that um, strictly the people are, are considering um, having a uh, wheelchair user um, on Strictly Come Dancing. And, of course, all the trolls came out. Um, lots of anger on Twitter. Um, I'll never watch again. What's next? Cats and dogs dancing just awful stuff like that and yet you know that one or two of those trolls are going to become disabled at one point and um i wonder if they'll remember the horrible stuff they said about disabled people about cripples or whatever other horrible word they use cats and dogs um so um yeah it's it's uh, it's commonplace and it's usually not you're not 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 born with it. I mean, our listeners can't see my face, but obviously you can. 
and yeah, I hadn't seen any of this. I've got to be honest. I avoid Twitter, but just, just wow. I, just, yeah, I don't even know what to say to. That. I mean, I don't watch Strictly. I might be, in, I might be a bit more inclined. I'll be honest, just to see how it goes. But um, yeah, people never cease to amaze me, and unfortunately, not always in a good way. Yeah, I, I um, funnily enough, um, I, I really didn't engage with university because I'd already kind of been traveling and sort of popped back to Manchester University, which was also about beer and girls, but um, I'd done it with a suntan before, so I couldn't really get round Manchester. Um, and uh, the the good thing I learned was ballroom dancing. Ah. And um, so I, I, I was excited when Strictly came up, but um, quickly I was becoming disabled at the time. So nowadays, even though I know that, we, you know, that we've, we've had two last three series i think we've had disabled people on i haven't watched it partly because i'm i'm uh, i don't regret anything in my life but i do miss dancing and i know my wife misses it desperately um and so i'm not sure if i'll watch it a wheelchair or not because i know i won't be the the guest on it and yeah that that's a part of my life i do miss yeah, I, I I mean, I honestly, I couldn't dance. Not that sort of dancing. I think I would have two left feet. Um, but it, it is very graceful. But there are things you have learned that are new because you told me that you play wheelchair rugby. And how did you take to learning a whole new way of playing sport? Um, yeah, well, that that's um, it's it's not as dramatic as it sounds because um, I, I'm playing against um people with lower um limb issues you know they're they're veterans uh they've got mild cerebral palsy they've been involved in car crashes um those kind of disabilities and yet their upper body strength is entirely intact so they are beefcakes and they are racing around and there's me with basically one effective arm and a half arm i've got a full arm but your half strength arm and um my legs are rubbish but so i'm tootling um that's my word for my speed but i i still have a role i get in the way of the fast dudes and it's just brilliant and and you know a gift of disability is I, I know I know you can see me on screen and I look 21, but I'm 54 um, and um, I'm playing a contact sport and it's just wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm probably in my last season because it's it's blooming hard work, even even tootling. Um, but it's just been brilliant. It's been um, six or seven years of team sport, friendly abuse, coaching sessions, training fitness um i had a i've got one good bicep um uh, quite quite hunky arm it's been great does your chair get tipped over because i watched wheelchair basketball when the paralympics were in london and the amount of times people's chairs went literally flying over and the strength it must take to be able to write yourself um yeah i'm i haven't been because again i'm i'm a bit slow um, but I've I've sent people flying as they've as they've tried to race past, and I've just got in the way. Um, 
the the wheelchair rugby chairs are quite hefty so you actually have to call a halt to play and and the team comes on and and writes you um but no it's my ambition to go over before i retire <laughs> but um because you know um you you only fall from a low level so there's very few injuries and it's basically dodgems is wheelchair rugby so if anyone on mark's team's listening tip him <laughs> It's my ambition. Please, please make it come true. <laughs> Wonderful. I do want to come because we talked a lot about wheelchairs, but I want to come to our second myth because I know you've got some statistics for us. So that was that most disabled people use a wheelchair. So what's the fact behind that, Mark? Yeah. So I believe 8%, 8, just a small number, not 80, 8% of disabled people are wheelchair users. So that that's a tiny amount. Um, they're not always permanent wheelchair users, so they can get out of their chair. Um, I remember a, a very vividly a, a Metro piece about 10 years ago, which showed some people in wheelchairs at a football match climbing up to, to shout. Um, and of course they were shaming them because they were somehow fake for getting out of their wheelchair. And, um, Oh, so um, most, I think most disabilities are totally invisible. 8% of um, disabled people are wheelchairs users. So that's still a hefty amount, but it's it's a small number. And um, I, it, it's, a, it's a big issue when it comes to uh, disabled loos, for example, because, um, you know, you... And I find myself doing it when I see someone walk cheerily out of a, a, a disabled loo and um, I give them the evils. And generally, I you can tell when it's somebody's guilty who's gone into a disabled loo because it's handy and it's cleaner, um, as opposed to the somebody with, for example, a, an ostomy bag or just an urgent need because they have a very weak bladder or whatever reason it is. But th there are issues between these about these assumptions that only wheelchair users can use disabled parking spaces, only wheelchair users can use disabled loos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It, it's a hard one to tackle, um, but um, I just wonder sometimes if we could find better symbols for parking spaces than the the classic stick man in a in a wheelchair. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk over sort of the last year or two about the universal symbol for accessibility. And people have come up with different um, options. You know, it's kind of like half a person standing and the other half is the wheelchair user. Um, there's, I know some of the supermarkets in the UK have recently adopted the signage with the standing male and female um, stick figures and the wheelchair figure. Um and they've, they've actually got writing against them saying, you know, not all disabilities are visible. And I think that certainly helps, but it's not really necessarily practical to have all of that text on every parking space because you've got to be able to maintain it. Yes. So you want something that works. I mean, I'm not asking you to come up with all the wonders because so many people are talking about it. But have you had any thoughts on what it could be, how it could work better? No, I, I, I my, my quick reaction is... Um, is a, a a male and female with a walking stick because it, it that's halfway 
But um, no, I, that's not the answer either. So no, I haven't. Um, you, you're right about the maintenance. I, I hadn't thought about that because I just want everything solved. Um, but um, I, th I think the answer is back to changing perceptions. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, again, that's going to take a while, but doesn't mean we don't start today. I think the uh, maintenance comes from 20 years corporate real estate experience. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wow, that would take a lot. Um, but no, I do. I think it's a really important point. And actually, and you may have spoken to a lot of people like this yourself, Mark, but I know so many people who are disabled, but they aren't wheelchair users. And they've literally experienced real, real abuse because they've parked in an accessible space that they need or because they've come out of an accessible toilet. And, you know, they don't want to have to explain to this stranger who is shouting at them outside um, why they use it. And of course they shouldn't have to, but yeah, the perception piece is massive. And yeah, there's just a lot of education, I think, to get people to understand the difference. But there's also education to get people to understand how essential those facilities are for those who need them. And they aren't just a shortcut rather than walking around the corner to the other ones. <laughs> No, because um, there's no queue or because they're, <laughs> yeah. they're generally cleaner or whatever. Yeah, and, and likewise, perceptions around wheelchairs. I, um, it, you know, there, there, there's a constant argument about what you say to people when, they, you know, they automatically think that they can ask you your medical history. Um, you know, so what's wrong with you um, with the wheelchair? And my current answer is what's wrong with you? <laughs> I just answer back. Um and that that didn't work. The last time I had to use it was on New Year's Eve and it was a Polish chap and he was just totally bemused by my request. So in the end, I just said, oh, bloody hell, I've got multiple sclerosis. It's a progressive disease, blah, blah, blah. And I just shouldn't have to do that. But um, yeah, you, I, I don't know your um, detailed medical history and neither should you know mine. But um, it's just something that um, it's... It, people seem to feel the right to uh, to ask you about your wheelchair, to grab hold of your wheelchair. That's one thing you don't do without permission. It's part of my body. It's my legs, basically. Um, so much to teach. So much to teach. Yeah, definitely. We could do so many episodes on this. Um, it's interesting because when I'm out in public, you should see the photos on my phone. They're quite sad. I'm notorious for registering the accessibility barriers, but also some of the good stuff that goes on. And interestingly, for the first time ever, because it's genuinely never even dawned on me, I was in a shopping centre just a couple of weeks ago and I was looking around and I was clocking some parents who were there on their own with um, a pushchair with a baby in it. And I realised that actually... Because I actually saw the, this is how sad I am, I check things out. I saw the baby feeding facility and there was no toilet in there. So I realised, of course, because you're not going to leave your baby outside. So the only facility to go to the toilet for them would also be the accessible toilet. Yes. So they can take their baby safely with them. Yes. Yes. And genuinely, all these years, that never dawned on me before. Well, there you go. No, I, oh gosh, accessible. You, you could do a whole podcast <laughs> lose and accessibility for, yes, for, for parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, 
I think and I just surprised myself that I'd never thought about it. Have you got children? No. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Maybe that's why I never thought about it. But usually I'm quite quick on the uptake. But yeah, that one genuinely skipped me by. I just didn't think about, how you know, where do you go when you've got a small baby or a small child in a pushchair and you're on your own with them? Yes, absolutely. It's so, you know, not, um, I, th- I think uh, this is me maybe inventing stats, but I think most children um, are no. Well, they're born out of wedlock more than not now. I think, but um, the amount of people who've got single parents, or at least have parents who one of them is is off working, obviously. So um, more often than not, there are going to be issues with a pushchair and all the gubbins. So we've, we've talked about so much, but I think we've put our myths at bay. So absolutely, most disabled people are not born that way. And also, absolutely, most disabled people are not wheelchair users. So no. that's an interesting fact, especially when I do disability confidence training um, or hidden disability workshops. Often when I talk about visible disabilities, I would say at least 90% of the time, the first one people suggest is always wheelchair user because that's what people associate with disability. Yes. And I actually think the logo is a big reason for that. I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. And yeah, yes, no, you are absolutely right. But there's also the point of acceptance of disabled. I, I, um, just a quick story. I, I remember Early on in my diagnosis, I went into Costa Coffee in Leighton Buzzard for a coffee and I hadn't said the word disabled yet. And I said, please, could you bring my coffee over? Um, I, I think I was either with a walking stick or, or walking drunk, so to speak. I said, because I'm partially disabled. And that acceptance of the word disabled is hard to come by and, and it's hard to um resist when you're a wheelchair user I, I think I am safely disabled now <laughs> safely disabled that's a whole new term I'm gonna yes uh, I'm gonna see how many people uh, resonate with that one so my question that I asked all of my guests which I did prime you for because there is no holds barred on this it's magic if I give you a magic wand Harry Potter style and you can magically change one thing to make the world more inclusive or accessible what would you do? That probably depends on what day you ask me. If I've come across a bad pavement, for example. But generally, I would say talk to disabled people. We are not generally contagious. Um, we are generally human. I love the Michael J. Fox quote that says, um disabled people can be jerks too um but we are just normal people um and we will correct you if you say the wrong thing a lot of people are are scared of saying the wrong thing so they say nothing and they neglect us so it is just treat us as normal people you know you're you're weird because i don't know why jody <laughs> i don't uh, but everybody is different I'm I am definitely weird because I'm a wheelchair user and I also wear very silly clothes because my point there being what are you staring at the bloke in the wheelchair sod off 
stare at the bloke with very strange clothes. That's my my reason for for wearing funny strange clothes and blue Mohicans and whatever. But it that would be it is talk to disabled people. Don't treat us as some alien invader um, in your space. Accept us if we're on Strictly Come Dancing or if we're on telly or if we're in, a, in an ad or if we're in the workplace with you. Absolutely, I like that. You've already given, obviously, so much for people to take away. But is there anything else specific you would love people to take away from this episode? Um, no, I, I think we, I think we've, we, we've covered it. <laughs> we've covered uh, a lot. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to um, tell people to um, rush off to the doctor if they've spilled pins and needles, um, but do take your health seriously. Um, and um, if you do get to the wheelchair stage of disability, as a tiny percentage of you will, um, life is still good. I love that. Thank you very much. And no doubt, you could honestly, you've been brilliant. And thank you for being so open and sharing so much. People are going to want to find you, Mark. So where do they find you so they can connect? So uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, less than I I, I was. But um, I'm at MarkWeb underscore. Um, I'm on Instagram at MarkWeb99. Um, uh, maybe you'll put in the show notes my um, LinkedIn uh, a profile where I, I post most. But I also blog at onemanandhiscatheters.com. I and I, I hope the title of that shows that I am very open and um, I hope witty um, with my waffle. I can imagine, even from obviously our conversation so far and certainly from today, um, I'm looking forward to reading those actually because I've only recently found them. So um, that is all good stuff. I will absolutely share links with the show notes. So um, definitely, you know, that's in plan. Uh, yeah, I just, I've got to be honest, as much as I already knew a lot of this, um, Mark, and of course I follow you on LinkedIn, not only has it been a pleasure, it really has been eye-opening. And I hope for our audience, all of our listeners, that everyone will take something away. Some people will recognise they're not alone. Some people are just going to resonate with how they can, you know, look at things differently, how they could maybe make their workplace more inclusive. There's so much that can come out of this short episode that, yeah, it's quite powerful. And I just want to say thank you so much. Lovely to properly meet you, Jodie. <laughs> Wonderful. And thank you to all of our listeners. I absolutely don't doubt you would have enjoyed listening to Mark. So do please reach out. And of course, you can reach out to me with any questions as well. So until next time, take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.